coming up next on The Breadwinning Mums. My mom always told me a quote when I was little, and I think looking back, that really helped me. And her, her quote constantly was, you can clean your room happy or you can clean your room sad, but you're going to clean your room. Welcome to the show. I'm Jane Lim. On the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on, and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today we're chatting with Petra Langenstark, a fellow breadwinning mum with two boys, Hudson and Sawyer. Petra is a career coach at the Australian Graduate School of Management and she holds a portfolio of casual roles to balance the demands of her special needs son, Sawyer. She shared with us her life story about travelling the world with a toddler, navigating through crisis when life throws you a curveball and always asking the question of how can we make it work during challenging times. Here we go. With Petra Langenstock. Hello, Petra. Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on your podcast. So we obviously met at the Australian Graduate School of Management, where you're the career coach, uh, but you haven't always worked there. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Sure. So I grew up in in the United States. So I was born in New York, but I grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, I probably never thought that I'd be living in Australia, but I've been here 10 years now. And so I suppose from from a career path, do you mean my journey and things like that? Yeah, both career and as a person, as a mom, as a woman. Sure. Um, So career-wise, I wasn't sure, which I I feel makes me a better career coach because I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to balance my life. Um, And so I majored in international relations and I went to a school called the College of William and Mary, which is... um, I suppose like a public Ivy school, which is about two and a half hours away from Washington, DC. And I really enjoyed the school. Um, So I decided because I like to travel and I really appreciated learning about other cultures, I would do international relations. So that's what my major was in. Um, Mm. But then as, as you have it, I also met an amazing professor who I just really enjoyed her subjects. So Mm. she taught anthropology, which is, you know, the study of, of culture and and humans basically, but she specialized in primatology Mm. and which is the study of apes. And Mm. so I just ended up taking all these courses and I did a thesis for my minor in, um, at Richmond zoo, actually basically studying the, the social interactions between female and male chimpanzees for 20 hours at the zoo. 
Um, And so that really led me to my first job coming out of university, which was at the Jane Goodall Institute. Wow. Um, Yeah. So I worked at Jane Goodall. She's amazing. She's about 80 something years old now. And she is the one who learned that chimpanzees use tools in the in the wild. Yeah. Um, But in her older life, I suppose Mm. the last 20 years or so, she's been working on a program called Roots and Shoots. And Roots and Shoots is basically um, the idea that kids are the next generation and kids have amazing ideas. So parents support groups of children to come up with some environmental project. Mm. It could be something like um, recycling at their school or coming up with a community initiative or something bigger. And so Mm. she would go and present on her ideas And my first job coming out of university was the photographer to follow her, which is great. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's how I started. Um, And then I've also done, I've worked as a local journalist, um, kind of concurrently to that, working on, you know, going around talking to people, opening up businesses, um, probably doing similar things to what you're doing, you know, going in the community, meeting people, talking to different people. Um, Mm. And I enjoyed all of that, but I also really like the idea of working with kids and helping. So mm-hmm. for me, I think my theme throughout my career has been how how can I help people? Mm-hmm. Um, but as I've grown, how can I help people and have a sustainable life for myself? So as I've matured, kind of shifting to you want to you want to add value and and maybe help as a twenty year old became advocate as an you know I'm not that old, but <laughs> as you get older and progress. So. Um, so I ended up teaching at an, at in Texas, which is um, I went through a program to teach at um, without having a teaching degree. So basically, non-teaching professionals to go teach in high-risk schools. Um, so lots of issues with kids from low socioeconomic status backgrounds or kids whose English isn't their first language. Um, you know that kind of that kind of a thing. So I did that for a while. Enjoyed that. Um, ended up getting married in there, had my oh, first wow. son in there. <laughs> yeah. So you and, met your husband, Steve, um, way before that though, right? You met him I back did. in New York? I, I met him when I was finishing up at the College of William & Mary. He's four years older than me, so he was working in New York City. Yeah. Um, so we, we met basically because we had both transferred into that university and we had yep. a lot in common that way. So um, nice. yeah. So that was really balancing early on is, you know, negotiations, changing jobs, changing cities. And then Mm. um, for us, he worked in New York City as an investment banker. And Mm. so what we had in common was this love for travel and adventure. Mm. And Mm. so we packed up and we thought we were going on a little adventure and we haven't lived in the United States since since then. (laughs) Yeah, amazing. That's a, you know, full life you've had there. And you're only a third of, of the way there. So you can't wait what the next two thirds going to look like. Um, but I'd like to uh, talk about your work back um, at studying primatology. Mm-hmm. Did you go through Harari's work back then? Or what do you think about Harari's take on? I haven't actually. Her work, um, my professor's work was actually more specific. It was on, on the contrast between chimpanzees and a subspecies called bonobos, which I hadn't heard about before I'd taken this. And the idea there is that um, chimpanzees are kind of naturally aggressive. So in the wild, they'll have conflicts, you know, there's cases where 
they kill each other, things like that. So they get quite aggressive and bonobos, which are genetically almost the same thing are quite peaceful and they don't mm. have these same social hierarchies. Um, and that was part of my thesis is to go and study this, um, this one. Um, and so they've seen that in the wild. So my professor was more interested in like intelligence of, of animals. So chimpanzees, mm. bonobos, also bottlenose dolphins, um, mm. African gray parrots. And so she, she's very interested in, yeah, just how, how intelligent are they really? And um, specifically, the social structures of some of these more intelligent species. So that was the angle that she was yep. really going on. Yep. Okay. Interesting. All right. And um, so you met Steve, you got married in Texas, and then you traveled the world together. What was the first destination outside of the US? So we decided, I had, um, when I grew up, my parents separated and my dad for a while dated a woman who is half French and half Brazilian. And so I spent two summers going to France, probably when I was 16 and then 17 by myself, mm. um, living with a French family for one of those summers and really getting immersed in the culture. So I had a strong interest in going to France and trying to, you know, try to pick that up and see if I could move from intermediate French into being able to, you know, become mm. fluent. And Steve is always my partner. He's just, um, you know, he's pretty much up for everything and he has a high energy level. And so to give him full credit, he didn't really speak French at all, but he said, let's just go and <laughs> I'll mm. start at the beginning and you can help me out. So for the first five months, Hudson was 13 months old. Mm. Um, and I remember having a conversation with my mom saying, you know, people don't really travel with little kids. And we just said, well, we do. So mm. <laughs> we're going to go. And we yeah. did. And we had a great time and we used a lot of our savings and had the most amazing time. We lived in Montpellier, France, and we did French language school for about four to five hours a day, sent mm. Hudson to a little, you know, French daycare center. So his, some of his first words were actually up. in French, which is yeah. interesting. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, we traveled, we went to Italy. Um, we traveled around Europe a little bit during the weekends mm. and things. And then we realized that we actually do have a child that we're responsible for. We do need <laughs> to make a salary. <laughs> yeah. And so our next step was, um, Steve first looked for jobs in finance, but it wasn't as easy as we thought then, I guess this was, was this 2012, no, 2010. Yeah. 2011, 2012. So it okay. wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, he just wasn't having luck. So then I, I thought I can use my teaching degree. Let me see if I can apply for some international teaching positions. Mm. Um, so I did. And I got a role teaching in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi, mm. which I kind of joke. And I say, if you get a job in New South Wales and you're thinking, great, I'm going to go to Sydney. And then they put you out in orange. It's fine. It's just not Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of um, Abu Dhabi or Dubai, we were put in a small, a small town. I say small, it's still, you know, 200,000 people or something. It's called yep. Align and it's on the border with Oman. And mm. so we had a very different experience where, you know, it's rolling sand dunes, conservative dress. So I taught at an all girl government school in year mm. three, three girls. Yeah. The students spoke their local dialect of Arabic mm. and then they learned standard Arabic in school. And mm. then comes along the Western teachers to teach all the subjects in English. Um, 
and there are no resources. So for instance, you know, curriculum, they just said, well, you're, you're from America, just teach them the curriculum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that was really interesting because you really needed to rely on your colleagues and come up with a plan as a team. So that's, that's what I did. So I worked really closely with the other year three teacher, we divided the work. Um, I did English and more of like the, you know, social subjects and she did mm -hmm. math and science because that was mm -hmm. her background. And um, it was a really interesting cultural experience, but it wasn't a place that we wanted to stay for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so actually we were in Dubai for Hudson's gymnastics class. And it was an AGSM representative who approached Steve and said, you know, have you heard of the AGSM? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he, he had worked for National Australia Bank out of New York City. So for him, he he knew that he loved Australia. He'd been to Sydney a lot, probably, you know, 10, 10 times or something for mm. work. And so mm. he just thought, well, that's a really good way to leave the Middle East and to mm. start the next adventure. Um, yep. So he applied for that. Um, mm. He got I he applied for an MBA at AGSM at the time, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. He applied. Okay, okay. Yep. And then he got I think he got a partial scholarship. So we decided we could we could do it um so he accepted the offer we went back to the states for about six months visited everyone and then moved to australia on christmas day actually we mm. took off christmas eve we landed the 26th of december in mm. 2013 and mm. we've been here we've been here ever since um wow. so that started our australian adventure <laughs> How long have you known Steve for? When did you guys meet? I've known him. I was 21, so it's like 15, 16 years. We've been married. I should know this exactly. 12 or 13 <laughs> years, something something like that. Um, yeah, so okay. basically I was 21 and he was 25 when we first met. So we we really, in a sense, you know, grew up together in terms of maturing yeah. and sharing yeah. experiences and things like that so yeah okay and how long did you guys go out before you finally committed to each about other? four and a half years so four and a half years wow. i graduated university i did my jane goodall and journalist job i moved mm -hmm. to texas i did the mm -hmm. teaching and then it, i was living in texas for a while he was still in new york city mm -hmm. and it was basically a conversation of you know well i'll propose but if you don't say yes i'm not moving to texas <laughs> okay. I felt was more than fair. Yeah, <laughs> he he's hedging his bet for sure. That's <laughs> like it. So, any eye bankers would, you know. Exactly, which which I think is fair because obviously, yeah. if you move out of New York City, um, that's like a major hub for for investment yeah. banking. Yeah, um, you're worth it, but you better make it happen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So okay. that's what we did. So yeah, about four and a half years before we got married. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I mean, 21 must be a very young age to really find out, you know, who you are as a person, what you want to do in life, but also whether if, you know, Steve is the right person for the rest of your life. When did you finally know before he proposed, of course? I think um, that's a very good question. I think you often feel older than you are. So I think, you know, my younger self felt like I had everything 
together and I had an understanding of things. But I think what actually happens is, you know, you make a choice every day to stick it out with someone. And mm -hmm. if they're not your sister, your mother, your father, you have a choice all the time, mm -hmm. um, you know, to not continue that journey. So I think for mm -hmm. us, we are both stubborn and adventurous and mm -hmm. determined people. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that's kept us together is we're always willing to try. And I think that always willing to try is the key because it hasn't always been a smooth sailing road where, you know, we get yeah. along constantly. We've definitely had our arguments and life disagreements and directional differences and opinions. But mm -hmm. I think for us, it's just about trying with that person and then being able to identify the good qualities, even when you're upset with the other person. So I think yeah. that's the other yeah, that's important. important quality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say, I would say when I moved to Texas, I partially moved to Texas because I knew that it would either work or it wouldn't. Yeah. And I wasn't really willing when I was working in Washington, DC, it's about four hours apart. Mm. And I could just see that happening for 10 years. And I was, yeah. I just decided, you know what, you know, if, if something's going to work out, then we need to make that happen. And if it isn't going to work out better to know sooner than later. And so, yeah. um, so it's a bit brave of me because I think I was mm. maybe 23, 24 by the time I moved over to Texas. I didn't mm. know anyone in Texas, um, mm. you know, didn't know what the job would be like, but I haven't really been afraid of just trying different things. Um, yeah. And Steve has a story. We were actually, we flew to Australia with his job. Mm. Um, this was about three months before he proposed. And apparently his story goes, I had the, you know, one of those airplane blankets over my head and I didn't have any makeup on or anything, you know, you're just traveling for 16 hours. Yeah. And I don't know. I said something to him and he said in his mind, he looked at me and instead of saying, why would I marry this girl in his mind? He said, why wouldn't I marry this girl? So that's ah. his story. And so that's the story he tells. So he says he knew then, and yeah. then it was just a matter of when and how he felt when. like doing it. And, um, yeah, so it's good. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more about your life now. So you're married to Steve with two children. Yes. yes. So I have. So once we moved to Australia and he was in the AGSM program, which, as you know, is pretty demanding in terms of time and requirement to study and quite challenging to balance if you have kids or partners. Um, mm. So we were in the program and I fell pregnant with my second son. Um, mm. and so plan was we would just stay, you know, maybe a year, maybe he'd get a year work experience in Australia, but the plan was not to stay. Mm. Um, but my youngest son was born with special needs. So he has cerebral palsy, which is like a physical disability and, mm. um, you know, kind of global delay. So intellectual disability at a moderate level too. And so that really just changed our world. And I think for us, um, it changed our world that you can plan all you want, but you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what you can control is how you respond to things mm. and, and your perspective. That's all you can mm. do. So, um, so once he was born, he, he's nine and he's had 28 brain surgeries mm. and he's had 13 of them in the first six months of his life. So mm. if you can imagine trying to finish your AGSM program while yeah. in hospital, um, yeah. it wasn't really something that was possible. So, mm. so for us, the next step was how can we stay because he wasn't able to fly. He'd basically mm. had a stroke. So he wasn't able to get on a plane, and go back to the States. Mm. And we also felt, you know, Australia, one of the amazing things about the country is 
even as a student, you have access to hospital care and it's mm. covered. Mm. And the U.S. has the whole whole host of problems, but medical insurance is one of them. Mm. Um, and so the only way that we could stay is if one of us studied longer in mm. order to keep a student visa. Mm. And so I had actually just I had decided that I wanted to do after my teaching, I wanted to make an impact. But as I mentioned before, not at such a granular level, not with just 30 kids, but in general. Mm. And so I decided to do an, an, a master's in environmental policy. So mm. I did that, <laughs> did that through my pregnancy, graduated. And then about 10 weeks later, Sawyer was born with all these complications. So that went out the window. Can't say I've used that much. Um, but basically what happened then is I just decided, well, you know, Sawyer isn't rolling. He's not sitting. He's not doing all these things that we know are milestones for bubs. So I decided to do a doctor of physiotherapy degree. Mm. So I went to Macquarie University, mm. did a three-year doctor of physiotherapy degree, um, lots of work. And, mm. and so that worked out and that, uh, that basically allowed Steve to then um, apply for jobs with full working rights. Mm. We went on many rolling contracts of three months, three months later, three months later. And then finally we were able to get his company to sponsor us eventually. So yep. um, we got citizenship last year and uh, took nine <laughs> years, but we did it. And yeah. now we're totally happy here. So I um, obviously met your family, your beautiful family at the AGSM ASA family picnic. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective as a mom of two young kids, uh, I really, you know, pull my hats off to you with you and Steve, actually, with how beautiful you are as a family, but how strong you are and how you're both able to make just make things work, you know, regardless of what life throws at you, you continue to make things work. And it's, it shows with the way you, you are around both of your boys. So both Hudson and Sawyer, I don't, I don't see any differences in the way you treat them. And that's great. So you have two boys, Hudson and Sawyer, nine and 11. Mm -hmm. Nine and 12. Nine and 12. Okay. Mm -hmm. How has Hudson been throughout all of these ordeals? Obviously, he was still quite young. He was three when Sawyer came into the picture. Mm -hmm. But throughout all that, how how was he? How did he, did he take it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, talking back to having some resilience or having that mindset for me, my mom always told me a quote when I was little. And I think looking back, that really helped me. And her her quote constantly was, you can clean your room happy or you can clean your room sad, but you're gonna clean your room, mm. <laughs> that's it. So mm. when Sawyer came along, it was kind of, you know, like you can you can feel sorry for yourself, which is easy to do that you have, you know, this tremendous um, responsibility to this little person who needs all the support that you weren't planning on needing to provide, mm. but it doesn't help you, it doesn't help him, it doesn't help Hudson, doesn't help Steve, or you mm. can just get on with it and, mm. and just, really appreciate, you know, I think that instead of just seeing the good things or just the bad things, I just saw everything all together. So mm. you you notice the hardships, you notice the positives. And so that was our approach. And I think having that approach helped Hudson mm. because it was more like, you know, when he says now he's 12, well, one day when you guys are old, I'm going to need to look after Sawyer. We're like, mm. 
yes. <laughs> you know, some parents would be like, no, no, it's okay. We're like, no, actually one day when I can't walk, you do need to look after your brother, but mm. we're, we're very open about it. And, you know, I always tell them like, not now, not tomorrow, not in 10 years, not in 20 years. Um, but it's more, I think that we just, um, we never said we can't do something because Sawyer, Sawyer didn't learn to walk till he was almost five. Mm. Thank goodness for that physio degree. That's really the value. Yeah, I don't amazing. Very much, but mm. I think um, so. We wouldn't say, "Oh, well, because he can't walk, we're not going to go on this trail ride." Steve would just say, "Well, you know what? I'm just going to carry him." And I mm. would say, "You know, <laughs> he's kind of heavy, Steve." <laughs> and Steve would just figure out a way, or we'll take yeah. breaks, or we'll bring sandwiches, or we'll do this. So yeah. I think because we continued to try to do things, and we would be yeah. honest, you know. Like it's true Hudson that we do have to modify it or it's true that we need to leave a bit earlier because your brother mm. is fatigued and that's fine. Mm. Um, or it's it's also true um, Sawyer is not allowed to fly for instance. Mm. So we drive to Queensland, we mm. drive to Melbourne. Um, mm. So then we say, well, you know, so there are things that we have to accommodate for, but I think having the attitude that you can do it, it's it's more ask yourself how instead of Ex, you know say that you can't and i yep. think that that's helped hudson have a really good attitude and outlook yeah um, he's definitely he loves his brother and um he's very protective mm. so as an example he decided to change schools when sawyer started primary school mm. um you know so he could be with his brother and i said you don't have to change schools it's five minutes away it's not a big deal and he just said no if if this other school isn't going to let my brother come here, I want to change schools for him. So mm. he's a very selfless kid, but it does have impacts. For instance, Hudson didn't learn to ride his bike till he was nine because I couldn't manage, you know, looking after someone who can't walk, oh. running mm. after a bike, pushing it. So yeah. there, there's some real implications that are true, mm. but we also try to divide and conquer, you know, for instance, um, I've gone back to the U.S. a few times and taken Hudson with me. So there's mom or dad time only. Yep. And so we try yep. to balance it that way. Yeah. Nice. Do you think that Hudson's um, a mature and kind person to start with? Or do you think that he's learned to really nurture that part of him um, when Sawyer came into, into the family as well? I think that's another good question in terms of nature versus nurture and, mm. and where that falls. I think it's a lot of um, teaching and modeling, mm. to be honest, because it's yeah. not natural to be selfless. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something that you actually have to practice and mm. learn. And then we try to because he's a child, you know, when you play with you've played with Sawyer so nicely for an for an hour, when we mm. go out to dinner, you can get an ice cream because you've been really nice to your brother. So it's like mm. positively rewarding the yep. behavior that you want. But I also yep. think that it is part of his personality too. Um, mm. He is, I would say he's very mature in his social interactions with people, but then he's quite immature in other ways because he's always played down to Sawyer's age and Sawyer instead yep. of nine is more like five. Yep. And so sometimes with his own age group, Steve and I'll look at him and we'll say, wow, he still has a ways to go. He's really a 12 year old who's more on the young end. He's yep. not... Yep. Yep about to be a teenager he's really still just yeah. a kid and so yeah. you have kind of a juxtaposition of, of what happens with that too 
So how are you juggling work and family life? I think your family life is already full to start with, but you're still involved at the AGSM. You're a career coach. You're heavily involved. How are you and Steve managing that? Hmm. I think what I did is for a while, and this is something I learned just kind of, um, how do you manage having not, I mean, many women have multiple kids and, and a role um, and some senior roles, but how do you manage having a special needs kid because the needs are just greater. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I tried for a while thinking, you know, maybe I can find a full-time role that really works for me. But in reality, Sawyer just needs more of my time and he needs my flexibility. So Mm. what I've done is I've actually created a portfolio of casual roles. Mm. So I am a casual um, careers coach at AGSM and I've been involved since really since about the time Sawyer was born in terms of doing resume reviews and things all through my doctor physio. I worked one day a week with AGSM. but once I finished, I started to pick it up and, and do more and more roles. So for me, I now work about four days at AGSM. I do one day a week with the employability team, which is career coaching for the undergrads and mm. PhD students and um, postgrad students. Mm. And then I mark one course. So I have a course that is about employability, helping undergrads to secure roles. So things like we make them go out and do an informational interview and work on their resume and cover letter and interview skills and um, skills analysis. And then I also, because after that three years, I didn't want to lose the whole physiotherapy certification. Mm. So I work on a Saturday roster at a public hospital. <laughs> and so basically it sounds, wow. it sounds crazy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But, yeah. but for me, let's say that Sawyer goes to hospital because I'm casual. I yeah. can just say, you know what? I'm not working for three weeks. And, and I don't have to ask, mm. um, you know, I went to Gold Coast just this past week. Don't have mm. to ask. I just say, you know, I give a heads up out of courtesy, of course, for the team. But mm. it's allowed me the flexibility that if I need to drop it, I can mm. drop things and, and deal with that. And mm. if I want to scale one thing up or I could work at AGSM for two days a week and, you know, cut the other roles that I do a bit less often for a while. So for me, um, it's actually a mentor who, who told me, she said, you know, Petra, you don't need, you don't want a full-time role. What you're saying to me is that you want salary security. Mm. And that was my light bulb of actually, that's what I want as I just want to know that I can provide for my family in a, in roles that are rewarding, um, where I have the ability to influence things. Um, Mm. but where, if I need to, I can still just say, I'm just, I don't even have to say what I'm doing. I can just on Thursday decide to take the afternoon and do a therapy session for Sawyer. So Mm. um, that's how I balance um, my work-life kid balance. Did you always know that you were going to be a career woman? No. I thought I would be one of these, like, I love, I always knew I wanted to have kids and I always wanted to have three kids since I was, Ah. um, you know, in high school, let's just say. And I think I'm the only child. So I think Ah. for me, I just really, as soon as I had Hudson, I was like, I'm definitely having at least one more Mm. because I missed that a lot. I had two older cousins who I saw all the time Mm. and I saw they were, you know, they're two years apart. They're both girls. So I saw that sister bond and I just, you know, they'd always play with me, but I just wasn't exactly, yeah. they wouldn't, yeah. you know, 
they were nicer to me because I wasn't one of their sisters really. <laughs> and so I just saw that and, and that was really important to me to have a yeah. bigger family. So I think that's always been um, my idea. And also yeah. in Australia now, you know, it's Steve and I and our, our little family. I got my mom over here during COVID, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also looking forward. And if they're all in Australia, you know, they have to have their own support network and things one day. So mm. what part of your travel journey so far do you think would you consider to be the highlight in your life so far? Mm. Let's see. I would say before kids, we were most adventurous mm. and we did a lot of traveling. Um, when Steve was working in New York City, we had the funds to be able to have these grand adventures. So we went mm. to Thailand. We went all the way up. We took a boat across to Laos. We um, went to Cambodia and we saw Angkor Wat and, you know, the history there. Um, we went to Japan. We also, my favorite place, my first place, the funny part is I had always traveled. So my dad worked at the University of Miami. And so his work was in like Latin American politics. So mm. he would travel a lot around Latin America and the Caribbean. Mm. That's why I grew up in that location. And, um, and then as he got older and changed roles, he worked a lot in Africa. So wow. I always had the travel bug from when I was five. Yeah. <laughs> because, because my dad's travels and, and he would take us places. Um, nice. So the first place that, but when I met Steve, he had never left the United States. So mm. I was 25 and he had been all over the US, but he had never traveled internationally. And mm. we decided to go to Costa Rica, mm. which is amazing because you have the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean and the rainforest and like all kinds of amazing things and a different language, but Spanish isn't too hard to get around with. Mm. Probably because I grew up in Miami too. But, um, <laughs> but I think what I didn't appreciate is the roads, especially this is back in 2005, mm. were horrible. There's like potholes. So he's, and I don't drive that well in like really rustic conditions, but he's really good. He drives manual cars. So we were, I basically had him drive from the airport about two hours the first night down this super bumpy road. It was getting dark. We couldn't see, couldn't read the signs. We don't have cell phones. You have like old fashioned maps then. Mm. And um, so we had a travel journal <laughs> and we went to see Volcan Poas, like the volcano Poas. And his first entry was, it was called Poas Nightmare. And then I was like, oh no, <laughs> I have ruined this. <laughs> I have made this. I should have taken him to like the Bahamas or something like totally chilled out. And instead we went on this epic adventure and we, we had yeah. a great time. We stayed another place by this big volcano where they said, park your car downhill. And as we're staying there, you can like see the lava coming down the volcano. And we're thinking, I'm just thinking I might have misjudged this. However, um, I guess the whole thing worked because Steve was just he just got hooked and he's like, that was great. Like, um, yeah. so so before kids, we did all kinds of very adventurous trips like that. Mm. And then Hudson's actually been to 17 countries. Wow. Um, before he by the time Sawyer was born. So before he was three. Mm. that's how much traveling we did with him so that's um, amazing because that's the time when you went to France and then you traveled around Europe Italy and then yep. you went to Abu Dhabi Emirates we it's also amazing. took him we went to South Africa while I was working in the Emirates and we did a big trip there um, wow. that was quite adventurous too we yep. went to Jordan I went to Petra because I felt like I needed to go yeah see you have to <laughs> um, yeah 
And we went all around. Yeah. So we really did do lots of traveling with him. Mm. Um, so I wonder if maybe that's also kind of where he gets his um, mature, you know, the kid went everywhere with us and um, yeah, it's got to shape you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's become resilient and more worldly, I guess. Do you have any tips on uh, people who are traveling with young kids, but like proper traveling, of course, mm. not just like sure. going to one city? Yeah, sure. I think um I think it's again that question of of don't just say oh you know first of all throw out nap time like I know that some parents are quite scheduled but if you want to travel with kids we had the notion of you know a child is an extension of us and they're mm -hmm. quite resilient and if they mm -hmm. skip their nap or they 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 don't go to bed on time it's fine because mm -hmm. you only have one chance to kind of go and travel so my first thing is let go of the schedule for the for the child and just be flexible and mm. I promise they will sleep when they're tired and eat when they're hungry and it all works out. So yeah. that, that allowed us to see more and do more because we didn't mm. cater for mm. specific times of the day. Mm. Um, and then my other tip is really, again, just ask how can I do this with a child mm. rather than, oh, they're too young, I can't do it. Now within reason, yeah. of course, um, yeah. obviously you need to prioritize safety and things like that, but you know, there's lots of things you can still do if you're just a bit creative with how to do mm. it. Um, mm. We had a really cheap stroller that could fold down. So that was very helpful in terms of being able to fold it, go up and down stairs, you mm. know, carry it if we did a little walk and things like that. Mm. So um, yeah, and don't get, don't get hung up, you know, you're going to have, <laughs> you're going to have clothes that are dirty, you don't have a spare t shirt, it's fine they'll be fine so i think yeah. it's just having that attitude of um it's not going to go perfectly i think mm -hmm. our worst flight ever hudson was 22 months old when we went from the emirates to south africa mm -hmm. and we had to we had to refuel in johannesburg to get to cape town and they for whatever reason they made me keep that loop on my seatbelt with him sitting in my lap he's mm -hmm. quite big by then mm -hmm. And he was just screaming and screaming because he wanted to go on the floor and they wouldn't let me unfasten his seatbelt. Um, but my other advice is you can do anything for 24 hours. Mm. And that was a bad 24 hours, but then we got there and had a great trip. So mm. um, it won't go according to plan, but you can still be creative in how you go about it. Yeah, I really like your how can I philosophy hmm. because uh during the family picnic you mentioned about you know uh Sawyer had I think you mentioned a stroke when he was still inside your tummy yeah um and so that created a lot of complications later on but you don't limit yourself with what does that mean to your life and his life you just make it work so how can you make it work how can you go on that travel how can you go on that holiday uh, with all of the limiting conditions, but you're still trying to make it work. I really like that. The fact that you, it's, you know, it's across areas of your life. Yeah, I think it's important. And then I think too, um, you know, you, you, you give and you take with him, but he's always up for adventures. Um, mm. and you also have to be honest, you know, he'll say things cause one of his, one of, he can't really open and close one of his hands. And so he'll say like, you know, my hand doesn't work. And it's also being honest. It's like, actually, yeah, it doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> but, you know, we have this one and, you know, well, what if you just pull it this way? Or for instance, we buy them remote control cars that you can do with just one hand. So then mm. we have to spend more time on that. But again, it's, um, yeah, it, it just doesn't help. I think it's more 
it just doesn't help um, to to sit in the negative and it's mm. easier to sit in the negative, but it's not helpful. Um, mm. So I think for us, that's that's what keeps us going. And, um, you know, you don't always get it right, but you, you keep trying. Um, so if you could go back to your younger self, I guess to a point where your parents just separated, mm -hmm. what one advice would you give your younger self knowing all of the wisdom and knowledge you know now? Yeah, I think um, when I was younger, and I see it a lot in career coaching, like I was quite a humble, introverted teenager and kid, um, is just be brave, you know, mm -hmm. like what did my mom say? There's another quote that I didn't especially like. She said, you wouldn't worry what people think about you if you realize how seldom they do. Yeah. <laughs> and as like a 15 year old girl, you're like, that is really like not reassuring that like no one <laughs> is thinking about me at all. <laughs> you know, but I think it's actually true. It's just, um, you know, when you stand up and you give a presentation, people aren't judging you. They want to hear what you have to say when, mm -hmm. so I think for my younger self, I would often maybe second guess like, Oh, can I do that job? Maybe I need more, maybe, you know, this person has more experience than I do. But mm -hmm. in fact, it's, it's really not necessarily the case. It's often people who are just brave mm -hmm. and to be, you can be humble and, you know, appreciative of things, but you can be confident too. So I would have told my younger self, be confident, go for things earlier. Um, don't second guess yourself, give it a try. And then also if things don't work out, you know, um, it's not the end of the world. Cause I think my younger self and many people in their, you know, twenties might feel like it's quite a big deal to fail. Um, mm. but it's actually just part of, of growth mm. and, um, and you don't, you don't grow and, and learn unless sometimes things don't work out. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's part of learning. You just I learn probably from it would have wished. On. Yeah. Like if I could have figured out that doing a portfolio and becoming more of a consultant earlier, that mm. really benefited me. And I spent maybe three or four years trying to find the right job. Um, mm. And I'm much happier just having pieced things together. But it requires being brave because there's no job security. Um, mm. You do a good job, the work is there. You don't have good quality work, the work isn't there. Mm. Um, but if you're brave, then it works out. So yep. I think, yeah. Okay. Be brave. That's my advice. Be brave. Go try things. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And what's your alpha mom song? So if you have deadlines looming at work and your kids are sick and you don't feel well yourself, what song do you play on the back of your mental mind to make it through the week? I think that's more my quote. I go to my quote of you can clean your room happy or clean your room sad, but you're going to clean it. So for me, it's, <laughs> um, it's that. And I think my other, um, my other motivation that's always driven me is my grandma came from Lithuania. So Eastern Europe mm. when she was 18 on a boat to America. Mm. She didn't speak English, you know, she didn't have any money. She sewed men's suits in New York City and wow. um, just seeing like her resilience. Mm -hmm. So my my song in the back is probably my grandma singing in Lithuanian, just her, just her songs and getting on with things. And I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like watching watching somebody just dedicate their life for the next generation to have more, really. Yeah. And then my mom's done the same for me. Um, mm -hmm. 
outside of my grandma maybe rolling over in her grave because I've moved the whole family to Australia. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think it's just, it's it's still yeah. land of the milk and honey. <laughs> I've just heard it's fun. the lucky country. This is what a lot actually when I work in physio, a lot of the elderly patients who've come here often say Australia is the lucky country. So um, yeah, must be true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and have you reached a point in your life um, where you really felt like life's really gotten the better out of you? Um, and how did you and Steve deal with that? I think probably when Sawyer was born, it was very scary. Um, I didn't know any of the medical terminologies, like having a stroke, he basically had a stroke late in pregnancy. So when he was born, he lost 65% of one hemisphere of his brain, like gets kind of reabsorbed and, and disappears. And then this little person has to go with two thirds of what, what everyone else has. And so there was a lot of, um, basically in order to process fluid and things, um, he has something called a shunt. So it's a implant that goes into his head and it regulates the fluid. And so that's why he's had so many surgeries are, are these, if the shunt breaks, then it's within 24 hours, you need to be in the hospital and you have to have a brain surgery. So that's scary if you think about, you know, I want to go to Broome, Australia. Well, there's no neurosurgeon there. So mm. again, where else can you go? How else can you have a trip that's adventurous that is safe for him? So mm. I think that probably like that first, from when he was born, that first six months was a breaking point in the sense of, you know, Steve was studying full time which meant we had no money. We didn't know anybody because we were relatively new. So we didn't really have good friends. We had a three and a half year old who still didn't understand and needed their parents. Luckily, my mom flew out and she basically took care of Hudson for us and cooked for us and things. But it was that was scary. I remember at one point, I think Sawyer, he ended up getting an infection. He got meningitis. I think he was like three months old and so many things were going wrong. And you know, having that medical assessment of actually like, I understand the turn of events here and stuff. So I think that that was the hardest. And then how do you come out of that? Well, luckily he stopped having surgery. So that was one. I think mm -hmm. sometimes you're just in crisis mode. So that was mm -hmm. crisis mode for six months. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, then you look around, you're like, okay, <laughs> things are, things are not going to get worse now. Like now we can just start to think about how we can make things better. And then from that point, we could start to build again. Perfect. All right. Um, and so for other breadwinning moms listening to us today um, who are trying to juggle family and working life, but especially those with um, special needs kids or mm -hmm. differently abled kids, what one advice would you give them to make it through the phase that they're in? Find resources um, for special need moms is there's so many resources out there and it's really important to be educated to advocate for your child. So for instance, even for Hudson, there's an organization called Little Dreamers, and that focuses on siblings who have kids with special needs. So mm. that helps him feel like it's all about him sometimes. Um, mm. There's lots of amazing organizations that do holiday camps for kids with special needs. And the more that you get involved in communities, um, it's just nice to make those friendships with other parents who are going through something similar. Mm. So I would just say, go and find the resources and also just ask for second opinions. Cause we were told, you know, Sawyer's not going to see, he's not going to walk, he's not going to talk. And he did walk 
he talks a lot, um, which is great <laughs> to hear. And and you know all of the gains he he makes, he keeps. So um, listen to your instinct, but also get all of those resources and ask questions and spend the time doing that because it sets your whole family up. Um, I guess mentally, you know, physically, you just get the support that you need when you reach out. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, Petra, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Amazing. Thanks so much, Jane. Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. Please subscribe and leave us some feedback so we can continue to make the show better for you. If you know a fellow breadwinning mum, please share the show so we can cheer each other on. Until next time.